Welcome into Toronto today. It's Mike DiStefano. And uh, so no Leafs lunch. So we're doing an hour of Toronto today due to our coverage of soccer, which was fantastic. Football, if you want to use the proper European term. Uh, there'll be another game at 2 p.m. But for now, we got to talk about what's going on in the Toronto sports world because there is some groundbreaking news going on with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Darren Dreger will be by in a few minutes, and we'll get to it a little bit more. But Morgan Riley, big news, ends up on LTIR, took a knee-on-knee collision with Kyle Palmieri in last night's loss to the Islanders, and he will be on the LTIR, which means he'll miss 10 games and 24 days. They do play 11 games in that 24-day span. So he'll miss at least the next 11. And according to Darren Dreger, we'll get some more information when he does join us in a couple of minutes. Could be a four- to six-week injury. A grade one or grade two MCL injury is what uh, is what he believes. It's what he's hearing. So we'll get more information. But oh, this is just worst-case scenario for Toronto. It really is the worst-case scenario. Now they are without not only Jake Muzzin, they're out TJ Brody, and now Morgan Riley, the three top defensemen, the only three top four defensemen that this team has realistically. Not the best. Not the best at all, Louie. Not the best at all. These are the guys who eat the minutes for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And now you look at that blue line, and it's bleak. It is bleak. You're looking at a top pair of Mark Giordano and Justin Hall. Justin Hall, three weeks ago, people are asking to get this guy up in the press box. Now he's going to have to be relied upon to be this team's top pair defenseman. And then last night, so after the injury, we didn't quite know the extent of it, but Sheldon Keefe did come out, and he did uh, say that he's not all too worried about it, but I'm not sure I'm buying it. But here's what Sheldon Keefe had to say. I mean, it's, like you say, when we're already missing guys, and, and Morgan is so important to our team and to our back end in particular, you know, but... You know, we lose Muzzin, made a big deal of it, wasn't a big deal. Brody, made a big deal of it, wasn't a big deal. Just got to keep playing. That's, that's the way it goes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a big deal, though. Like, let's be honest. They, they lost Jake Muzzin, who wasn't playing, you know, top-level hockey at that point. But I guess, you know, when you lose one guy, you're number three, you should be able to get through it, and they kind of had. And then TJ Brody goes down, and it took a couple of heroic games out of Jordy Ben in order for them to really weather that storm. But now you lose Morgan Riley, a guy who averages 23 minutes a night. He's your minute muncher. He quarterbacks your power play. He's a leader on the ice. He's a leader off the ice. This is a big loss, and, and, and I'm not sure. Like, at some point... Yes, okay, the team has kind of gotten away with with losing out on Jake Muzzin and losing out on TJ Brody, but at some point, that blue line gets too thin, and I wonder if Morgan Riley, if he is out for an extended period of time, and the early reporting suggests four to six weeks, now this is really going to put a lot of stress on 39-year-old Mark Giordano and Justin Hall. And and, and I, I really, really believe that now is the time that Kyle Dubas has to do something. This has to up the urgency for Kyle Dubas to make some sort of move. Uh, at practice today, the D pairings look as such. Geo and Hall as the first pairing. Sandin and Lilligren as the second pairing. And then you've got Jordy Ben and Mac Hollowell, who's yet to play a game in the National Hockey League. He's been called up, and he's currently uh, skating as the sixth defenseman with Victor Mete skating as the seventh. That is not a, a blue line that I look overly confident in, considering who they're playing tomorrow night 
on the road against a team that's won 13 straight games in the New Jersey Devils. It's it's going to be tough sledding here for a little bit. Let's let's be honest with ourselves. I I think that um, I, I, Morgan Riley. This was the one injury that I think the team could not afford. They really could not afford it, especially when you're getting also hearing that T.J. Brody's oblique injury has not responded well to it, and he won't play at all this week. And that is a bleak, bleak blue line. And you look at that second pairing, Sandine and Lilligren. That's your second pair right now, and those guys have been struggling in third pair minutes. Sheltered third pair minutes, and those guys are somewhat struggling. They're, they have all in the negatives when you look at Corsi percentage, you look at their shot share, expected goal totals. It has not been great for this club, hasn't been good for, for this team, and now they're expected to play top four minutes against the New Jersey Devils tomorrow night. This D is going to be tested big time. And I wonder if Kyle Dubas has to start working these phones a little more aggressively. I know it's difficult to make a trade right now. There are many teams who are looking to add, especially and and particularly on the blue line. But this has to just up that urgency 100%. It just has to. Uh, I'll be curious to see what, what Darren Dreger thinks about that. But realistically, you look at last night's game in total. Not not outside of the big injury that they sustained. You know, the Maple Leafs played pretty well, and they deserved more than just one point, realistically. They deserve more than just the, the one point. But after all said and done, they lose in overtime. They lose Morgan Riley for an extended period. And uh, I believe we have Darren Dreger, TSN Hockey Insider, on the phone right now. Dregs, how are you? I'm doing well. Good afternoon, Mike. So, clearly this isn't a, a good situation for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Morgan Riley, knee-on-knee collision with Paul Mary in the second period, uh, didn't return to the game. What's the latest you're hearing on uh, on this injury after he's been placed on LTIR? Yeah, look, you know, credit to the Toronto Maple Leafs PR for being as uh, transparent as they were, right? I mean, automatically the acknowledgement comes out. By social media, he's been placed on LTIR, so we know that means he's going to miss at least 10 games, uh, 24 days. Um, you know, rumblings earlier this morning around Morgan Riley suffering a grade one or a grade two MCL injury. Um, normally, that's a four to six week type of injury, so that kind of coincides with LTIR and uh, what I was hearing late last night, and then again reaffirmed this morning. I. I doubt Toronto is going to disclose the specifics of the injury, although they did in parentheses acknowledge that it was clearly a knee injury. We could all see that last night. And for me, it was the reaction. You know, Riley is an incredibly durable hockey player. And and so you could see the reaction, and at that point, it was pretty evident that this was not going to be good. And all of it is amplified, of course, based on on the importance of, of having a solid, healthy defense um, Toronto does not have that with T.J. Brody's sideline. But even though you know, there's been, again, some talk about uh, him not being on the timeline they were hoping, I don't get the sense that T.J. Brody is that far away. So that might be good news for Leafs fans here on abbreviated Leafs lunch. He's probably a week or so away. So that doesn't make things on the short term a whole lot easier for Kyle Dubas. But at least that you know you do know that there's some experience help that isn't that far away from coming back. 
Yeah, and especially when you look at the schedule. I mean, they got New Jersey tomorrow, and then they're on the road for four games, and uh, there's a back-to-back in there, three and four nights. Yeah. It's a tough go right now for uh, for this blue line. I mean, Geo played 22 minutes and 34 seconds last night. With yeah. with Riley out, Brody out, like is he capable of shouldering the load as his team's de facto number one playing that many minutes? Or uh, do you think that this may increase the urgency for Kyle to go out there and, and make a move to address this blue line? Well, I think automatically it in, it increases the urgency to go out and do something, but I don't think that it's life or death if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Toronto has, has done well in leaning on its depth in other positions, and most recently that's been goaltending. But we've also said from drop a puck of the regular season that Dubas would like to improve his defense. You know, add another piece on that right side to put a little bit more pressure on Hall and potentially others. Well, now it seems through necessity because of, of injury. But in answer to your question, do I think that Mark Giordano can handle more on the short term? I do. I do. I, look, I mean, we know that you know, his, his career is uh, certainly in the back nine and probably not that far from being over, but I, I still feel like he's got more to give. You, know, you just have to be able to, to manage that to the load management situations that every team embraces from time to time. But it's not just Giordano. Um, you know, I think we saw a little bit more from Rasmus Sandin last night. You know, given um, the injury situation, um, I, I, I give him full marks for stepping up and, and defending Austin Matthews. Yeah. But they couldn't really afford to, to lose another defenseman there. But we're looking at this bigger picture. So you do need to expect more from Sandin. Looks like he's willing to provide that. Likewise for Timothy Lilligren. So it can't just be about Mark Giordano creeping up into the 22-23 minute mark. It's got to be everybody else taking on more of a role in different capacities. Yeah, last night when I saw, like, good on Sandine, you're right, for for dropping the mitts and sticking up for his teammates. It's been a talking point uh, over the course of the season uh, about yeah. that. And But when he took that face plant, I, I kind of got weary a little bit. I, I, I You already have Muzzin out. You got Brody yeah. out. Riley just left the game, and you see him take a nosedive on the ice. I, I, I don't want that guy fighting. I'll be honest with no, you. I had a little no. worrisome last night after that one. No, I'm with you, Mike. But, you know, again, I'm okay with it because you, you absolutely have to embrace the situation, right? Um, it, it appeared on instinct to be a dangerous collision with Austin Matthews, right? So we in the media have been critical of certainly early in the year anyway when, you know, Austin Matthews, if he wasn't being targeted, Certain teams were doing what they could do to make sure that they got a lick on them in some way, shape, or form. And there wasn't much, if any, of a response. So in the moment, Rasmus Sandin felt like he needed to step up. Um, and, and you could tell that he was ready to do that. So good news is that he was fine post-game, and all indications are he's, he's good to go moving forward. We're chatting with TSN Hockey Insider Darren Dreger. And about a week ago, they had the GM meetings. And, you know, that's kind of a time for a lot of guys to get together and maybe discuss some some trades. We heard a couple teams come out and say how they do want to make some moves. And I think we just spoke about how Toronto might want to do something. But how difficult do you get the sense it is to, to just to make a move right now? Really hard. Um, and, you know, a lot of that has to do with the salary cap. You know, you've got, I think last time I checked, not long ago, there's, as many as 16 teams in long-term injury, Toronto in there as well. And then another half dozen or so teams that are within a million of the salary cap. Well, that's just a, a constriction 
that makes it challenging no matter what point of the season you're at. And, you know, it, it of course, gets uh, more efficient when you're creeping closer to March 3rd, the trade deadline. But that's only because teams are certain of what their destiny is for this year. And we can look around the National Hockey League and we can identify teams that are highly unlikely to make the playoffs. You know, I look at Anaheim and I look at their list of potentially available defense, right? You're looking at Klingberg. You're looking at Shattenkirk. You're looking at Kulikov, all expiring deals. You know, is it possible Cam Fowler could be uh, a player in play? He has a chunk of change in term left on his deal. But that's what other general managers and people do. You know, you first establish teams that just flat out aren't going to make the playoffs, and, and then you start pecking away at it until you get to a place where you've either exhausted it and there's no fit or it's something that you do have to put on the back burner and maybe get into the second half of the season. But to make those deals at the 20-game mark, the 25-game mark, even the 40-game mark, they happen. They happen, but they're either for lower-end depth pieces, Mike, or on rare occasion you see a big transaction, which I think of Jay Chickren as an example, Mm -hmm. and all the pieces that Arizona remain convinced that they need to to make that deal. So we're kind of in a gray area right now on the trade front. Well, another name that's been talked about a lot over the course of the last few days, I think, is, is Eric Carlson. And that is a big trade, obviously, to make. But yeah. do, do you, and, and Mike Greer did come out and say that they are listening on offers, which I think is kind of what intensified and amplified the, the discourse surrounding this. Like, what would a Carlson return even look like? And Because it's really confusing looking at it. Clearly, no one, I don't believe at least, will be willing to take on that contract with the salary at 11 and a half. But if he could get some retention, like, do you think there is a, a legitimate market out there for a guy like Eric Carlson this season? Yeah, I mean, there's a market, you know, so that that means there's a legitimate market. Um, I think it's it's still a stretch to believe that he's going to get traded anytime soon. It is all about salary retention. I mean, there will be teams interested because of the star status of, of Eric Carlson and the way that he continues to play here. But there aren't that many teams that can take on that contract. And even with the salary retention by the San Jose Sharks, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And, by the way, San Jose is going to have to get something back that matters, that has to be quasi-meaningful, right? This isn't about unloading a bad contract. Eric yeah. Carlson, again, is a superstar in the NHL. It feels like this is more plausible in the off season. Um, and then let's not forget that there's no trade protection here that belongs to Eric Carlson. So, you know, I'm sure that there's a good relationship between Carlson and Mike Greer, but Eric Carlson isn't uprooting his family. He's not moving anywhere that he's not comfortable with. So that's another layer to how tricky this one will be. We're chatting with Darren Dreger, TSN Hockey Insider. Um, Leafs lose last night in overtime. I thought they played pretty well outside of a couple of gaps, and that seems to be a, a recurring theme here whenever we talk about Leafs losing games. But what do you find kind of most concerning or, or more perplexing about the way that this team plays in overtime? They've now lost five in a row in OT, and just kind of look at a sorts out there at three-on-three. Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as concerned about it as, as some are, maybe yourself included. I mean... <laughs> It's a stat that jumps off the page. But, you know, going into that game, Mike, you know, what was Toronto's record in your last 10? Like 6-1-3? and three? And I, I had this conversation with the morning guys on Monday. You know, this has been the quietest stretch 
impressive run in a 10-game segment around the Toronto Maple Leafs that we've seen in a long, long time. So, you know, just the way that game turned with Bailey scoring, um, you know, maybe it flipped it a little bit, but you get into that three-on-three. I mean, the New York Islanders have game-breaking players, right? We can see that. We, You know, they want to win. Their coaching staff has rejuvenated that team, and, you know, Lou Lamarillo hasn't quite yet put his mark on it for this year, so there's another team that's going in the market for something, but I'm I'm not as perplexed as some seem to be. However, you get to the late stages of the regular season and you've got an opportunity to win your division and you don't win your division and you look back and you miss by two points or three points, then those points that you miss by not executing in three and three in overtime, they come back to slap you in the face. So yeah. I'm not ignorant to the statistics. I just feel like we're kind of looking for low-hanging fruit when you want to balance it with some of the good things Toronto has done in the last 10-11 games. Yeah, like they they played really well. I, I think the goaltending has come through pretty well. I think Matt Murray, the fact that he's come in yeah. and, and played four solid games. like He hasn't had yeah. a stinker yet since he's returned. He'll probably get yeah. the net back tomorrow night. Um, another positive storyline, Mitch Marner, 13-game point streak yeah. after registering assist last night. He looks to be in fine form right now. He's He's got a lot of jump, but you know, to, to, to pick a little bit, I suppose, about the way that this team is playing, I still haven't quite seen that jump from, from Austin Matthews, I feel. I, I'm just waiting for him to take over a game the way that we saw happen a lot last year. Still not scoring those goals off the rush. He's not dominating. Even the goal he scored last night at 5-on-5 five five was off a deflection. Is there, is there any concern there about the way that Austin Matthews looks out there on the ice? No, not yet, but I, I hear you. And, look, there were rumblings that maybe he was dealing with something back-related, rib-related, which might coincide with you know, the cross-check he took early in the season against the Dallas Stars. I think it was Jamie Benn. But he kept playing and, and playing through it. And there wouldn't be many players you know, in the NHL regular season that don't have something that, that is bugging them. But I don't, you know, I'm not making excuses here for Austin Matthews, and I'm not suggesting that he's still hampered by something. You know, part of the problem, though, is – I think every time we see him step on the ice, you expect him to pick up where he left off last year after scoring 60. And I think that's a milestone that maybe needs to be recognized as being ridiculous. It just, <laughs> it, it just is and hard to duplicate. You know, maybe similar to winning back-to-backs down the cups. It happens. It has happened with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, who knows what Colorado Avalanche are going to do here. I like that goal last night. Uh, and that type of goal, even though it's, it's not your prototypical off-the-rush uh, Austin Matthews goal or the one-timer or the half-clapper or any of those things, you know, sometimes a goal like that, a bit lucky, maybe a bit lucky, but just how the execution worked perfectly kind of can get you going a little bit too, right? So he's been collecting points. I just I want to see if there's something to that as they move forward. But I don't think that there's any reason to be concerned with Matthews at this stage. And I, I look around at, at some of the other pieces. You've acknowledged Mitch Marner, 13 games now with a point. I think William Nylander is playing his best hockey ever. Fantastic. And, and, and consistently so. And Tavares has been good you know, from the start of this regular season to this point as well. So I also like that they got some push from that third line too, right? Their bottom six Agreed. Is, is starting to, to show that they need to be part of what is the, the winning sort of recipe 
for the Maple Leafs, and I'm, I'm seeing that on a more consistent basis as well. Yeah, Yarncroft is a guy who I think last week I, I, I you know may have laid into him a little bit, just saying I expected to see more out of him, and I hadn't yet. But the last couple of games, yeah. I feel like he's starting to kind of pick it up and get his legs underneath him. Like last night, had a couple of real opportunities to score. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. The one in tight there, um, you know, kind of felt bad for him because I, he just – not that he's a, a an anti-skilled player. He's not. Uh, but does he have the same finish in hands as a top six guy? No, he doesn't. And I'm thinking if that's Matthews, if that's Tavares, if that's Nylander or Marner, it's in the net, right? It's that simply a top half of the net. But I, I think that Toronto likes the internal competition. They didn't have it for – maybe even the first 15 games, Mike, and now we are seeing a, a little bit more. Like, they're at a phase where they got to put Nick Robertson back in and Malgin comes out. But what about Yarncroc, you know, sliding into uh, a higher role for a game or two to see how that looks? I mean, why not? But you got to earn it. You can't be gifted it. you got to earn it. So maybe the fact that that carrot is dangling based on some of the in-game adjustments that we're seeing from Sheldon Keefe and his lack of resistance to change, I mean, he changes when he feels that there's a reason to change, and he's changing again in preparation for their next battle here. Sometimes that can stoke up the fires of internal competition, so that might be kind of what's fueling the bottom six. Yeah, I don't hate that suggestion. i got to tell you, no. Dregs, I don't hate that one bit. They did play a little in the preseason and showed a little bit of chemistry there. Maybe they yeah. could pick it up at some point. Uh, appreciate the time, as always, Dregs. We'll, uh, we'll chat again next week. All right, man. Have a good one. You as well. There he goes. Darren Dreger, TSN Hockey Insider. Yeah, I would not mind, actually. See, the way that Yarncroc has played the last couple of games, I would say, he's he stood out. And, and it's funny because I was looking to, at, um, at Mark Masters. I was up in the booth yesterday, and I said, you know, it's notable. Or I said to him, Yarncroc's had a good game. And he looks at me and says, yeah, you know what? They've all had a pretty good game. And I think I pointed him out in particular because he hasn't been strong this year. But maybe a couple of games, perhaps he could be a guy who does go up in the top six. You know, has those puck retrieval skills. Maybe we could see something happen there. Uh, up next, great guest coming up on the other side. Great Cup champion, Chad Kelly. Swag Kelly, quarterback of the Toronto Argonauts, going to join me on the other side. I'm Mike DiStefano. Listen to Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Now, back to Toronto Today. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Here it goes. Get out of your vehicle lease ASAP. Over 200,000 customers per month looking to take over your lease. What a relief. Go to leasebusters.com. It's Mike DiStefano. It's Toronto Today. That was Chad Kelly keeping the game-winning drive alive. Second and 15, running for the first down to set up the eventual game-winning touchdown moments later. The TSN turning point, if you will. And we got the man on the line right now. It's Chad Kelly, Argos quarterback, Grey Cup champion. Chad, has that sunk in yet? Great Cup champion. It, it, it hasn't, um, really. Uh, but I'm I'm just super blessed, man. I love my teammates. I love the coaches, man. We're we're just uh, on cloud nine right now, and as we should be. 
Yeah, Chad, I, 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 when you found out, so you got to come into the game, coming in as the backup, you, st- you started the one game at the end of the year, coming in as the backup, and then you find out that McLeod, Bethel Thompson, unable to continue there in the fourth quarter, down uh, by a score. I mean, what was going on in your head at the time when they came to you and said, Chad, it's your time, you're going in? Uh, here we go. We, I mean, I was just ready to ready to show what I could do. Um, I mean, obviously watching the game, they didn't bring much blitzes. They were obviously playing a lot more coverage, but they threw in some cover zero. And, you know, I had to be ready to take off and run when the time was there. And, you know, just trust your keys, trust your, trust your reads, and everything will work out. So you gave a pretty emotional interview on, on TSN after the win, talking about how difficult of a season this was for you mentally. And, you know, getting into that game and getting that moment to be that guy, to lead the team to the championship, did it just make everything you went through this season and over the last the course of the, of the last couple of years worth it for you? 1,000%. Man, I couldn't, couldn't be more blessed to be on a, a more special team. And, you know, 30 weeks ago, 35 weeks ago when we started, man, we, we had a one common goal, and that was the win, right? And we accomplished all four of our goals, and, you know, it, it couldn't have had a better ending to the story. Oh, I, I, I couldn't. Watching that game, it was such a roller coaster. I couldn't imagine being on the field and being in the game just as a fan, as an observer. I mean, it's it's late in the game, and, and you guys have a blocked field goal, and then the Bombers start driving the field and then respond with a block of your own to kind of seal it. Have you ever been in a game of that magnitude with, with such a roller coaster of emotions? What was it like for you on the field? Man, it, it honestly was was like uh like a dream and to really come out on the winning end was even more of like man this is so real this is amazing um you know you can't really put into words like the emotions that you go through um you know in that moment especially with like two block kicks you don't ever see that right you're you're thinking you're going up four and that means they got to score a touchdown then you're like all right we're down one they can get a rouge and then you know a game get, goes into overtime next thing you know they're driving and, you know, we had that sack earlier than the face mask, right? So it kept the drive alive. And then, you know, they go to kick the field goal. They're like, all right, we got to go down and win it. And then next thing you know, you win. You take a kneel down. And, you know, the greatest victory victory formation, I mean, there's, there's nothing more sweet than winning a championship with – the victory formation. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's, there's nothing. And it's funny. You mentioned the Rouge, which clearly is not something that you would have been you know, something that would have been known to you, I suppose, just being a guy who grew up in the States, played NCAA ball at Ole Miss, then went on to play uh, in the NFL with Denver and, and with Indy. The rouge that you guys got in the first half technically ended up being the difference in the game. You ever think about that? You know, I didn't even think about that until you said it. And and that's what I think what makes the, the game so sweet is that, you know, one point and and. And, and I, you know, being from America, you, there's obviously not one point in the NFL, right? So um, I think the biggest thing is when I came up here, I was like, why is there a one point? And they're like, they want to kind of uh, say thank you to the other team for driving the ball down. You know, it's a longer field or whatever. And then you get to thinking, you're like, man, there's never the same score. And that's what kind of keeps people interested is that it's so hard to predict what the score is going to be because those one points do end up becoming, you know, more than you think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a, as a, as a betting man, it sometimes can be a little <laughs> irritating just losing the game or winning the game based off of a rouge. Um, but you mentioned that you know you you grew up in the states, right? College, NFL. 
And then this was your first season in the Canadian Football League. Did you learn anything or gain an appreciation for the Canadian game in the years since you've been up here? 1,000%. Um, you know, obviously having 12 guys on the field, right? It's always like you're playing American football, but with a guy watching your eyes every single snap. you got to navigate him, right? Whether he's down 5, 10 yards from you or he's 25 yards away, right? So I think the biggest appreciation is, you know, how hard the playbook is, right? I mean, the playbook's even longer, um, and, and I, I just learned so much about the, the game itself, about players blitzing and all the different cover zero looks where you're like, man, in the NFL, you're only going to see two or three looks. Here, you know, when I played Montreal, they ran that coverage 19 times. So, you know, there's so many different ways that you can get to that, too, and that, you know, Winnipeg ran it on the second and, you know, 10, and I had to throw it hot because that was that, that's my job, right, is, is to do what um, the defense gives us. So, you know, I think there are so many different looks with so many different players on the field that you have to be prepared, and, and that's kind of where I, I stand as a football player now. I feel I'm more prepared for the game more than ever. We're chatting with Chad Kelly. Uh, we are uh, Grey Cup champion of the Toronto Argonauts, and your teammate ended up winning MOP and most outstanding Canadian, Enoch Muamba, said that this year's team was by far the best team that he had been a part of, and he's been in this league for a while. What was so special about this group? Um... There was no give up. They were relentless. They were warriors. They were workers. Nobody complained, man. Like, when he said, hey, full pads here, or he said, hey, we got three more periods here. Hey, restart this period. We're going to do it again. Like, guys bought into that. Guys believed in it. Guys did whatever they had to do to to win the Grey Cup. And I think that's what you saw at the end of the day and throughout the season is that guys were warriors and resilient no matter what the score was, no matter – what the outcome was, we were going to try to figure out how to get the job done. I got to know. So Pinball is a legend in this city here in Toronto. Did he have some sort of inspirational rah-rah speech prepared for you guys, either pre-game or post-game after winning the championship? No. Really? No. I he, thought he, for sure he, he would. Nope. He just said, hey, here we go. This is this is your guys' team. You guys go do it. And you did. And you absolutely did. And you guys are going to have yourself a little championship rally uh, tomorrow. And not sure if you recall this. Uh, I guess you were down down in the States. But the last championship rally, Thursday, sorry, not tomorrow. But the last championship rally that this team had saw uh, Marcus Gasol, the Toronto Raptors, getting after it on the bus. The dude was chugging Rosé on what was pretty much a four-hour bus ride the entire time. Which of your teammates, Chad, are you most worried about tomorrow who might be putting in a bit of a shift in the celebration? Big Drew. Big, Big Drew. <laughs> I, I think that there's a couple of guys out there who could probably, like, I heard you guys were out pretty late Monday night. What was that celebration like, or Sunday night, Monday morning, rather? What was that celebration uh, like? Man, it was it was the greatest celebration ever, right? I mean... Like I said, you can't put into words what it means to win, uh, you know, and, and such an emotional game, right? I mean, there was so many times where you guys could have been like, oh, man, this shit sucks, or, oh, man, we should have did this, should have did that. We didn't dwell on it, right? And when we were down by, you know, six points, and the guys just, just found a way. They found a way, and, like, you know, we just, at the end of the day, you got to believe, right? You got to believe that you're going to get the job done. You're going to make the right decision. Hey, guys, that one play could be the deciding factor in the whole Grey Cup, the whole season. 
could depend on one play, and, and guys stepped up and made plays. Yeah, you yourself included. Second and 15, you make that play, you keep the drive alive, you score the touchdown, ends up being the game winner, and you brought a title back to Toronto. And, uh, you know, Argos fans probably can't thank you enough for helping do that with you and the group. Uh, congratulations, man. Great Cup champ. Probably feels great to hear, and uh, congratulations once again. And thank you for taking the time today. No problem. Go Argos. Go Argos and go Rebels. Go Rebels. I'm an old Miss go guy. Rebs, baby. Go Rebels. I'll never forget this, Chad. One of my favorite football games that I ever watched you play your senior year. You absolutely went out there and torched the Georgia Bulldogs. You and Evan, you made Evan Ingram into a first round pick that game. I guarantee it. Oh, he's gone. Oh, he's gone. Dang. Yeah, he was outstanding in that game. He was so good. Um, went out there and beat the Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, I've been a big Chad Kelly guy. Like, Swag Kelly was my dude. When he signed with the Argos back in February, I legitimately, like, texted the, the Argos, like, someone I knew in the Argos organization, and was like, y'all got Swag Kelly. Let's go. Let me know when he's starting a game. I need to get out to see that game and get some tickets. And, uh... Lo and behold, you know, and that's what I think was so kind of profound about the season for him. Like, he ends up riding the bench, play, starts as the backup for McLeod Bethel-Thompson this season, and then when it came down to it in the fourth quarter, Bethel-Thompson injures his throwing hand, can't grip a football, and in comes a guy who had one start in the Canadian Football League, leads him on a game-winning drive, and wins the Great Cup for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, an outstanding story. Really happy for the kid who's had a bit of an up-and-down football career. Also, the uh, the nephew of Bills legend Jim Kelly. So congrats to Chad Kelly. Congrats to the Argonauts. And uh, go support them Thursday. Uh, go check out when they do their championship parade down at, uh, uh, where's that, Leafs? Maple Leaf Garden, Maple Leaf Square. Yeah, go check that out. Uh, share the this lovely share the love this holiday season with McDonald's. Here's your chance to win a two hundred dollar McDonald's gift card. Text the keyword today to ten fifty fifty. Feeling festive? Enjoy peppermint mocha or hot chocolate paired with a freshly baked festive ginger RMHC cookie or McCafe creme brulee little donut. Uh, on the other side, bike it into a little. Mini stay or go from last night's Leafs uh, loss to the New York Islanders. And got some updates from practice as well that we could share. I'm Mike DeStefa. You're listening to Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today brought to you in part by 2 for 1 Pizza. It's 2 for 1 Tuesday. Order a regular price pizza from the Create Your Own menu and get a second pizza of the same size or lesser value for free. couple updates from Leafs Camp. Uh, Morgan Riley placed on LTIR this morning. Expected to miss four to six weeks with an MCL injury, according to our very own Darren Dreger. Uh, so that's a little troublesome, considering that you already have the Muzzin injury, where he's out indefinitely. And TJ Brody, who looks like, uh, according to Sheldon Keefe, going to be out for at least another week. And yesterday we did hear that. You know, he wasn't progressing as well as they had hoped he would with the oblique injury. Perhaps they thought that it could be, you know, as as he could return as soon as Tavares did. Because remember, Tavares had that same injury early in preseason, and everybody thought, okay, he's out for a few weeks. He was ready to go by opening night, and he's been fantastic ever since. I think the same hope was here for TJ Brody, but doesn't seem to be responding uh, quite as well. So he's going to be out for the next week, and 
that leaves a, a, a tough blue line. And the Leafs have called up Mac Hollowell, who has yet to play an NHL game um, in his career. But, you know, he's a former fourth-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, fourth-round pick back in 2018, 24 years old. Niagara Falls, Ontario native, by the way. So shout-out to my fellow Niagara Falls boy and Mac Hollowell. I do know some uh, some friends and family members of his. So looks like he's going to get his first shot, uh, first crack at the NHL tomorrow night when they take on the New Jersey uh, Devils, who have won 13 in a row, looking for a franchise best 14 straight when they play tomorrow. And Sheldon Keefe was asked why they decided to go with Hollowell potentially over Victor Mete and basically just said it's time to give him an opportunity, time to see what he's got in him. They put a lot of uh, efforts in developing him, started in the East Coast League and then moved up to the AHL, and now they just want to get a look at him. And boy, talk about throwing him into the fire. He's going to have to play against the New Jersey Devils. I guess it's sink or swim, and uh, he'll have an opportunity tomorrow. So that's good. Also, update from out in Edmonton if you missed it. Our old pal Jackie Campbell took a tough puck to the face yesterday, sitting on the bench in relief um, against the New Jersey Devils. Looks like he's got a broken nose for Jack Campbell. Uh, so that's that's some tough news for, for Jack Campbell. All right, really quick abbreviated stay or go um, from last night's game. A couple things that I want to stay. There were some really good waves of pressure that I noticed. There was in the first period where there was like four or five shifts, a barrage over and over and over again where they had a lot of really good looks. If it wasn't for Elias Sorokin being an unbelievable goaltender, the Maple Leafs probably should have won that game 3-4-5, 5-2 or something like that. But uh, (laughs) good goaltending can win you games, obviously. Uh, I thought the third player, third Uh, The third line played really well. Uh, A couple of goes for me, though. How about the woes in overtime? They've now lost five in a row, and they just look discombobulated out there. You've got so much elite skill and talent, and for whatever reason, when they get out there at three-on-three, they have all this time and space, and they can't connect on passes. You had two icings in a 30-second shift to start overtime. It just made no sense. Um, They're making... Just mindless errors, giveaways. It's tough. It's really tough for uh, for the Maple Leafs at, at three on three. Notable, they did practice three on three today at uh, down at the Ford Performance Center. So I think that is notable, given the fact that they've lost five straight and they've looked pretty poor while doing it. Uh, all right, so I think that's going to do it for us today. Toronto today will be back on Thursday because we've got the Canada game tomorrow. You've been listening to Toronto Today, brought to you by Vanilla Visa prepaid cards, available at Petro Canada, the perfect gift for any occasion. World Cup coverage continues on the TSN radio network with France and Australia.